0: We are now going to spend some time looking at the scripture today, Um, and if you don't know, some of you may not be aware, culturally, this has been a really big week in the life of our country. Um, A lot of crazy things going on. We had an election this week. Some of you are celebrating. Some of you are grieving, and as those who find our hope in Jesus, we want to acknowledge that we are called to be involved in the politics and in the issues of this world, but our true hope is in Jesus. And that's the theme that we've continued to see in the book of Daniel, is that kingdoms rise and fall. Leaders come, leaders go. Some leaders are incredibly evil, and yet they do good things because God has used them to do good things. And so we see this reality that God is the true leader of our world and of the cosmic powers. This week, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 10, and we're continuing our series that we've called What to Do When the World Falls Apart. What to do when the world falls apart. And we've continued to to walk this line of how do we stay involved in the here and now, but place our ultimate hope in eternal things. And that's going to become even more clear this week. This week in Daniel chapter 10, we're calling it Resist the Unseen Powers. Resist the Unseen Powers. We're going to be talking about the reality of spiritual warfare that there is the the battle that we do day-to-day of trying to be good neighbors and good citizens and be involved in in the day-to-day life of our world, yet there's this hidden, unseen spiritual reality going on all the time. Remember, this plays into the meaning of the word apocalyptic. Apocalyptic is literally unveiling or revealing revelation. It's this idea that God is giving to Daniel these heavenly realities. He's showing us what is true about the universe that we may not see or be able to taste or touch. And so we are going to be called to renew our own personal commitment to what is sometimes classically called the means of grace. Raise your hand if you've heard that term before. Anyone here, you've heard the term means of grace? Traditionally, theologians talk about what are the things that we can do to receive and spread God's grace in the world. Things like prayer and Bible study. These are kinds of things that we as God's people are to be devoted to, receiving God's grace and sharing God's grace with the world. Well, as we think about the idea of resisting unseen powers, I wanted to share uh, maybe an illustration from just everyday life that some of you have experienced. This happens every so often, uh, sometimes in my own car, sometimes when I'm borrowing a car, I'll be backing a car out of a driveway or moving it out of a parking space, and the car will just seem really sluggish, there will seem to be some kind of resistance. It's moving really slowly, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but I know something's not right. I might back it out of the driveway. I'm like, something's weird here, right? And then I put it in drive, and I start driving forward. And at about that moment, after a, a couple of minutes of, of driving, I realize, oh, the parking brake is on. Has that <laughs> ever happened to you? And then, of course, you feel really stupid. I, I like to claim normally when that happens, there was like a jacket covering the parking brake, Um, something that made it unseen by me, right? I didn't realize what was really going on, but there was something very real slowing down my progress. Well, the Scripture says that there are some things that we can see that are problems, right? Just obvious disobedience to God, things we know, things we can see, but there are also unseen powers that are trying to prevent us from doing what's right, that are trying to lure us towards evil, that are sharing words and thoughts of condemnation in our own minds and hearts. And here in this text, we're getting one more example as we've seen again and again through the book of Daniel, where we see Daniel living out faithfulness. We look at Daniel, we look at his life, and we see what it means to walk by faith, what it means to be someone who trusts that God is truly king. So we'll read in Daniel chapter 10, verse one, and I just wanna set up the first verse here. There's a byline that tells us When this takes place, this has happened throughout Daniel. You know, it's in the reign of this king, or it's the first year of this, or the second year of that. Uh, We get another one of those here. And what this does for us is it places this the third year into the Jews' return to Jerusalem. Let me say that again. The Jews now for three years have been returning to Jerusalem to rebuild it. Daniel wasn't a part of that journey Um, We assume it's because he was 84 years old and he couldn't physically make a journey like that. We also assume that maybe God was calling him to receive and write more revelation like these visions that he's getting right now. We don't know all the reasons, but we see that Daniel is devoted to doing this work of spiritual resistance. Even though he doesn't get to be a part of the political solution for God's people, rebuilding Jerusalem, he still gets to be a part of what God is doing in the world. Does that make sense? All right, we'll pick it up here in Daniel chapter 10, verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. It was about a big battle and a big war. And we're going to see that in chapter 11 and 12. He understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2 In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and I looked and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like a barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength." Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. I'm going to pause there. I'm going to pray that God would speak to us in this moment. God, we pray that you would speak through your word. We believe that your word, your scriptures speak with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. And so, Father, we receive your revelation, your unveiling through these apocalyptic visions. We thank you that you've spoken to prophets like Daniel, and we thank you that you give us your word, but we pray now that your Holy Spirit would meet us here, because God, there's a natural resistance we have to the truth. We need you to speak into our life, to open our minds and our hearts, that we would be receptive to you. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us now, help us to to hear you, help us to obey you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the big idea is that we should resist the unseen powers, and we're getting this little glimpse into the heavenly reality. We'll see conflict between angels and demons, spiritual beings that we don't fully understand, and we need to acknowledge that there are kind of two extremes we can go into sometimes when we think about spiritual realities, these unseen powers. One extreme is to just fall in line with the secular nature of our culture that says that stuff just doesn't exist. There's this kind of secular viewpoint that is very common in our culture that says, if I can't see it or measure it or taste it or smell it, it's not real. Um, And so I'm not going to really spend a lot of time debating that side. I'm just going to say the Bible says it's real, and I think intuitively we know it's real. More and more as we read secular literature and poetry and music, we see this ache for the transcendent we see this like realization among secular people who say, it's not real, it's not real, that still there's this ache, this acknowledgement that there is something out there. So I'm not going to spend time debating that. I'm just going to say, this text is saying, it's there, and this is how we interact with these unseen realities, right? So it's just going to say, this is what we do. The other extreme that we go to, though, sometimes is saying, yeah, it's there, And we have this fatalistic idea that we can't resist evil because it's just so powerful we get swept up by it, right? Christians are those that believe God is good and he has the ultimate victory in his hands and he calls us into this cosmic spiritual battle and he says, I want you to fight with me against evil and injustice in the world. I want you to believe me and trust me and step out in faith resisting the unseen spiritual forces of evil and wickedness in this world. So again, we're going to see this lived out by Daniel, and as we see this lived out by Daniel, I want to encourage you to go back and study more. A couple of key texts, James chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 6. So If you just want to write those down for your own study, those of you that are Bible readers, Bible students, can look at these later on your own. Ephesians 6, it's sometimes called the armor of God passage, and then James chapter 4, which talks about where spiritual conflict really comes from. Um, but we're going to focus on this text today, and we've got three things that we see lived out in the faithful life of Daniel. One is that fasting is supernatural resistance. It's probably the most foreign to our, uh, our culture, fasting. Fasting is spiritual, supernatural resistance. The second one is that prayer is supernatural resistance. That one we hear about more, right? We're, we're more familiar with that idea. Prayer is supernatural resistance. And then finally, the last one, Bible study is supernatural resistance. It's actually engaging the unseen powers of this world, resisting the unseen powers of this world when we engage in Bible study, learning and growing in our understanding of Scripture. So the first thing thing is fasting is supernatural resistance. Fasting, now just to define, because we are not as familiar with fasting in our culture, we're kind of an anti-fasting culture in a lot of ways, um, two things that are important elements, I think, of fasting. One is abstaining from something valuable, and the other is lamenting. And so sometimes when people talk about fasting, they're emphasizing one of those more than the other, right? It's kind of like a a technical or concrete physical version of it. Fasting is just abstaining from something, abstaining from food or special drink, right? The other would be lamenting. There's usually a grieving, emotional kind of uh, context with fasting as well. And so I want to encourage you to engage in both sides of that, not to just miss it and go for one side or the other. So fasting generally has both elements. Uh, we see purposeful abstaining and lament in verses 2 through 3 of Daniel chapter 10. Look at this. Verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. That's what I call lament, right? That's the emotional side of it. Like, God, we're broken. There are probably tears. Mourning means grieving, crying out to God. We've talked about how important this is in the life of Christians to lament lament injustice and brokenness in our world. That's an important part of our faith. And we see that being engaged in by Daniel for three weeks. And this was during the Passover time. Again, we got that dateline in verse 1 that tells us when this is happening, and we get more stuff later on that tells us exactly like which month it is and everything. This was during a celebratory time in the Jewish calendar, yet he was grieving. He was mourning, lamenting. Verse 3 says then, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. So that's the abstaining side, right? He didn't eat special food. He didn't drink wine. He didn't have delicacies. That's, I guess, the ancient version of candy bars or cake, right? Like he was he's abstaining from special things, not, not indulging in the normal fine foods, eating more simply, just drinking water, no wine, just eating plain foods not the fancy foods, not the rich foods. He did this also for three weeks. It also says, I did not anoint myself at all. Um, this would be the modern version of I didn't bathe and use deodorant and you know, use perfume and cologne, so sorry about that. But again, this is an abstaining from the normal rhythms of life, the normal comforts, you might say, of life. So fasting has these two components, right? Abstaining and lamenting. It goes on to explain more about the details in verse 4 about the actual time. And then in verse 5, it tells us, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. So, so far, sounds like a normal angelic character, right? But then in verse 6, it gets more bizarre. Look at verse 6. His body was like barrel. I think uh, the other translation that Christy read said chrysolite. It's like basically jewels, right? His body was like these fine stones or jewels. It says his face was like the appearance of lightning. It goes on and says his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now, just taking those descriptions, this sounds a lot like an appearance of God. Uh, some scholars would say this is probably a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, of the Christ. Remember, we've had some appearances of God throughout uh, the book of Daniel. Um, this seems to match up pretty closely with Revelation chapter 1, also some visions from Ezekiel. And so this makes us think maybe this is actually Jesus, but I just want to clarify, we're not really sure. I want to say before Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem and lived as a man on this earth and you know lived a normal life, before that, we're never really sure, right? When these appearances of God come up, we would say, well, that that's maybe, probably Jesus, but we're just not exactly sure. What we're sure of is this is a messenger from heaven. So that's what we're sure of. This is someone who is speaking for God. So whether it was Jesus or an angel messenger, either way, it's a messenger from God. And this messenger from God is communicating the holiness of God, the greatness of God, just in his appearance and his speech, right? He's overwhelming to Daniel, who is a frail, human being who's a sinner like you and me. And so what we see here is some, some stuff that kind of mirrors Isaiah chapter six. If y'all are familiar with the scriptures, Isaiah chapter six is when Isaiah sees God and he's just overwhelmed. He's like, I'm a sinner. My people are sinners. We speak sinful things and he's just overwhelmed. We see a similarity here in this vision. Verse seven says, I, Daniel alone, saw the vision. Only he saw this vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. Again, this is an unveiling of the unseen powers, right? There are these unseen powers in the universe. This would be the good side, right? This is the good side, a revealing of God and his power, some sort of messenger of God, yet it's still terrifying. It's terrifying to us, when we're not used to it. These guys were trembling. Verse eight, so I was left alone and I saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. This is what I would call accidental fasting, right? In this text, we started off with purposeful fasting. Daniel was like, I was grieving before God, I was abstaining, I was lamenting. And here, he sees a revelation of God or a messenger of God, and it just basically knocks him out, right? So there's kind of like accidental fasting, lamenting and abstaining, where we're just overwhelmed, we're just reacting to the realities of what God has revealed to us. And then there's purposeful, where we say, I'm going to mourn, I'm going to fast, here are the truths that I'm responding to, right? And so I just want to recognize in the text, we have kind of both sides of it. At the end of it, he's just he can't help himself. He's just overwhelmed by the reality of God's holiness, his greatness. I grabbed a picture of a plate with very little food on it. Um, this is, I think, stereotypically what we would think of as fasting, right? Eating little or no food. And I want to encourage you to try fasting. We see fasting throughout Scripture. It's really interesting. It's never really commanded in an explicit way, but it's just assumed that this is something that the people of God will do. And I want to encourage you to think about it this way, to say, what are the things that I use to feed myself, right? So that kind of, that's food, probably fills a lot of that, or just distract myself from the pain of this world. That might be social media that might be like compulsive phone calls to a particular family member or best friend, right? That might be reading for escape. That might be watching movies. Um, that might be compulsive shopping. It might be gardening. You know, like it could be anything. And oftentimes they're good things, right? Just to be clear, fasting doesn't mean that food is bad and God doesn't want us to eat food anymore, right? What fasting is, is doing is you're saying, I'm gonna purposefully... Pull back from this thing that fills me and gives me joy so I can simplify my life, so I can focus on God more. I want to encourage you to, to try it. And remember the warning that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 6. It might be helpful to go back and reread that. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Don't fast to impress anybody, right? Don't fast for me. Don't fast for your preacher. Don't fast for your friends. You fast to cultivate a rich, beautiful, gospel centered relationship with your Heavenly Father. It's relational. It grows out of your love and your devotion to him. So I think one of the best ways to think about fasting is anything in your life that you might be using to just anesthetize yourself, right? Like anesthesia, when you go to have surgery, they knock you out so you don't feel how hard and painful it is, right? Well, we do that in our life, right? We just kind of fill ourselves with food and drink and media and distractions. What are those things that you're using to distract yourself from how hard and how painful life is. Well, here we see this example of Daniel, and again, it's throughout the the Scripture. People of God set those things aside temporarily, again, not to impress people, not even to impress God. It's just opening up space in your life so you can focus more on God. Does that make sense? It's just kind of carving out a little space for your emotions and your flesh to be more in tune with who God is. I also would remind you that part of fasting and part of this abstaining from filling our lives with these things and lamenting what's broken in ourselves and in our world, part of that is just cultivating a general attitude of humility. And so in James chapter 4, which I think is a great parallel of the spiritual war stuff we see here, um, in James, James says, why are you quarreling and fighting? Isn't it because of your selfish desires? And then he gets very specific instructions about how to resist the unseen power of the devil in this world. And James says this in James 4.6, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble, to those who recognize their smallness before God. Fasting is a way to act that out, to physically act out what you believe to be true. It's a way of making yourself small before God and focusing on him in worship. James 4.7 goes on and says this, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Making yourself small, submitting yourself under God is the same thing as resisting the devil. And so fasting is a beautiful way to cultivate this in your life. All right, the next point that we see is that prayer is supernatural resistance. We pick up the story in verse 10. He says, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So remember, he'd seen the vision and it knocked him out and a hand lifts him up. So some people that believe that that was actually Jesus would say, well, now this is an angel now picking him up. Again, we're not really sure. We just know these are heavenly beings speaking for God. And one of these heavenly beings now lifts him up. He's trembling. He's on his hands and knees now. And he says, oh, Daniel, man greatly loved understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. He's speaking the love of God. Remember, God loves us. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Jesus is proof that God loves you. And that only makes sense in the context of someone who is recognizing their sinfulness and the reality that we deserve judgment. Those who don't even believe in the concept of sin or judgment aren't going to really understand the love of God. But here we see the gracious love of God to this trembling man who's humbled before God, who, who recognizes that he's a sinner, and he's like, God, God loves you. It's going to be okay. Verse 12, he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understanding and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have, be- I have come because of your words your words. What does this mean? This means his words of prayer. Prayer is entreating God. Prayer is asking God to move, to fulfill his promises, to be gracious. As we already know by faith he is, that we're asking him to move in reality, saying, God, will you make this true? Will you make this better? Will you move in this way? Prayer is talking to God. And the angel, the messenger, whoever this is, is saying, I came because of your words. God is responding to to your words. That's the way God has designed the universe. Prayer is supernatural resistance to the evil and brokenness in this world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that prayer works? Are you a praying person who, like Daniel, speaks words to God? Do you actually talk to him? And the beautiful thing here is in verse 12, part of his gospel reassurance, verse 11, he says, your love. Verse 12, he says, fear not. We were just talking to some friends last night about how fear not is the most common command in the scriptures. It's like, oh yeah, I think I read that this week in my studies, and that's in this text. Fear not, it's the most common command that God gives us. Don't be afraid, why? Because we're so awesome? No, because God is awesome. And so we see this beautiful uh, picture of prayer last week In Daniel chapter 9. So I just want to go back to it again. And again, just a cross-reference for you to note when you think of a model of prayer, Daniel was praying in Daniel chapter 9, 18, and he says, we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Do you see that? We would call that gospel-centered prayer. We're putting our hope in the good news of who God is, not in the good news of who we are, right? Christians believe that humans bring bad news to the table. We just keep reenacting the rebellion of Adam and Eve, but God brings good news to the table. So God gives us his righteousness. We give, us, we give our sin. There's an exchange there, the substitution. Jesus takes our place. He takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. And so when we think about prayer, again, one of the great cross-reference passages about resisting spiritual forces is Ephesians chapter 6. It's known as the armor of God passage. It talks about putting on the armor of God. And even there in Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 10, it says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Right? So when we engage in spiritual battle, resisting the unseen forces of evil in the world, we are trusting in the might of God, not in our own might. Now, this armor of God passage is great, and there's been all kinds of artwork done for it. I grabbed a picture of some armor from popular culture. This is the uh, Mandalorian armor, right when we 're reading about armor and we 're thinking about armor and we 're thinking about putting on the helmet and the breastplate and all the pieces of armor, there's this tendency we have, or maybe I should just speak for the, the men in the room, I don 't know about the women, but there's this tendency to get caught up in like the cool factor of, yeah, I'm putting on armor, right to be overly self-obsessed about it. But remember, when we're putting on the armor of God, we're putting on God, right? We're, We're stepping into our relationship with God. It's not about like, hey, look at me in my cool armor. It's about our faith in God, right? Prayer is accessing that relationship with God. And prayer is a big part of fighting in Ephesians chapter six. It says, pray, 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 pray again and again. As we put on the armor of God, we're engaging and trusting in his strength and not in our own. So we have the example in uh, Daniel chapter nine. I'm gonna go back again to the text here in Daniel 10. In Daniel 10:13 it says, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now this is bizarre. Basically what this is describing is spiritual princes, right? Angels and demons. And do you note the time stamp again? 21 days, three weeks, right? Daniel's praying for three weeks and an angel shows up or a messenger of God shows up and says, yeah, there was a fight for three weeks. Basically, while he was praying, that equated in the unseen realm to a spiritual battle that was taking place. Now, again, we need to be careful not to go to extremes and kind of Drift towards a, a demon under every rock, sort of theology, right? But we also have to recognize, man, that's that's not typically where we are. Typically, we're on the other side, saying, "Ah, this stuff isn't real because I can't see it." But here, we're being shown, and really, Daniel is being shown. There's probably new things being revealed to the great prophet in this moment, just as there might be new things being revealed to us. Spiritual battles taking place. There's a real war of good versus evil with spiritual beings. If you're interested in more study of this, I would recommend the Bible Project has done several nice videos on spiritual beings. They have a page, spiritual beings, and then they have several little videos about it, um, angels and demons and different spiritual beings. Uh, So I encourage you, if you wanna study more on it, um, but I wanna bring you back to what are we supposed to do about it, right? So I can't answer every question, uh, but I know what we should do. What should we do? we should pray. We should talk to God. We should ask him for his help. So in verse 14, he says, I came to you to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for this vision is for days yet to come. So in 11 and 12, we're going to get the final vision. Heaven keeps revealing to Daniel what's going to happen to reassure Daniel that you know what? When your political party doesn't win, Or when your political party does win, either way, it's not the end of the story. This is just one little part of the story. There's this larger battle going on and the kingdom of God is what will eventually rule and reign here on earth. And so Daniel's about to get one more vision. We'll see that in a couple of weeks. Actually, I'm gonna be out next week, but we're gonna end it in a couple of weeks. And so the messenger saying, I'm gonna give you this vision and in verse 15, it says, when he had spoken to me, according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute, right? Daniel couldn't even speak. Probably this is how many of you feel when I say you should pray more, right? You're like, Dave, I'm just, I'm mute. I don't know what to say, right? But, but look at this. God is, gonna, God is gonna help you pray. Verse 16, behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, I said to him who stood before me, oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me. I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now, no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Do you hear Daniel's prayer? This is a model prayer for us, right? Starts off with, I have nothing to say, (laughs) right? (laughs) I, I can't speak. And then you see God coming to you this, again, kind of mirrors what happens in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah's like, I'm a sinner, I speak unclean things, and the angel touches this hot burning coal to cleanse him, right? It's this spiritual analogy of atonement of what we see fulfilled in the cross, of our sins being take away, taken away through the cross, the atonement. But we see that in Isaiah 6, and we see kind of a reflection of that here, too. His lips are cleansed, his lips are touched, it opens his mouth. And this shows us this, again, beautiful gospel reality that In and of ourselves, we cannot speak. We're mute. God, I have nothing to say. I can't speak. But when we recognize the grace that God has given to us, that God has forgiven us for our sins, it opens up our mouth. And even then, Daniel's like, I'm weak, God, I'm weak, right? So often, I want to encourage you, your prayer life shouldn't sound like perfect Puritan prayers, but your prayer life should sound like this. God, I don't know what to say or god where are you or god help me or god i don't have the right words it's okay to pray those kinds of prayers it's a relationship with the heavenly father who loves you so we should be praying people and this is a part again of this hidden spiritual battle that's taking place okay so methods what are some methods number 1 remember the gospel i think that's acted out in isaiah chapter 6 and here when the heavenly messenger touches the lips of the man of God, remember, God is doing that for you. He's cleansing your lips so that you can talk to Him. Number two, here are just some books, some things that'll help you to pray. Right, some crutches for your member. You can you could just talk to God, but there are also some books. Also, some books that are helpful. One thing I think is helpful is just praying through Scripture. If you read the Bible, then just try to pray it back to God. Like if you read uh, chapter one of John this morning, just try to pray it back to God. Oh, God, this is true, or help me to understand this is true, right? You just start talking to him about what you're reading. Um, there are also some prayer guides, like uh, matthewhenry.org. I've talked about this. These are kind of Puritan prayers, but it's nice because he just arranges, um, it's called the method of prayer by Matthew Henry, this old Puritan guy. He died a long time ago, but some of his fans put his stuff on the internet, so Matthew Henry didn't put his stuff on the internet. <laughs> he, he was a Puritan that died, you know, hundreds of years ago, but MatthewHenry.org, you can subscribe and you get like an email that'll basically give you scriptural prayers to pray, right? So if you like to have something to pray, it's biblical prayers. Another one I recommend a lot is A Praying Life by Paul Miller. He walks us through the relational side of prayer, but he also gives us some techniques like ways to write your prayers on cards. And then finally, a book that we've really loved is Every Moment Holy by Douglas McKelvey. What Douglas McKelvey does is he takes just the little things of life, like changing a diaper or drinking coffee or doing your everyday work, and he sets these beautiful prayers to go along with these kind of mundane things of life. It's a great book. It's called Every Moment Holy by Doug McKelvey. But remember, prayer is supernatural resistance. The last thing we'll see here then is that Bible study is supernatural resistance. We do this every week. It's the center of our gathering. We lift up this book, we say that God is speaking to us through it. God speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself through the words of Scripture. It's inspired. It's breathed out by God. And we see Daniel having the same approach to the revelation that God gives him, right? And it's a little confusing for us because as we see the visions of Daniel, we're seeing the Bible being formed, right? So we have this formed Bible where it's a collection of many visions like the visions of that Daniel got. Many other prophets got these visions, and we've bound it all together. So we've got this bound book of what God has given to all of the prophets and apostles, right? We have it all together. But here we see the same attitude, the same posture of, God, I want to hear what you have to say. We call that Bible study, being serious about God's words. So look at verse 18. Again, one having the appearance of man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, oh man, greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Again, see this, he's being reminded, you're loved. He's being told, don't be afraid, be of good courage, right? Again, this is now gospel-centered Bible study. We don't read the book to impress God. Hey, God, look at how much I know about your book, right? We read it because we believe that he loves us. So we see that integrated here in the text. This affects his attitude. Let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. That should be our attitude as we approach scripture, right? We pick up this book, we feel like we can't handle it. And we remember that God has touched us. God has strengthened us through the cross. And we say, God, speak to me for you have strengthened me. Verse 20, he said, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So again, behind the leadership of these great empires, there are these unseen spiritual powers. Saying, There's a prince over Persia, there's a prince over Greece, and I'm involved in the spiritual battle. Verse 21, but I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except for Michael, your prince. And so again, Michael is a famous angel who appears again in Revelation. There are a lot of parallels in Revelation, the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament, a lot of parallels to the book of Daniel. So we see Daniel's posture towards the word. And my question for you and for me is, do I have that same posture? Do I recognize on the one hand, apart from God speaking to me, and touching me, and giving me grace, and encouragement, telling me fear not, telling me I'm deeply loved, apart from that, I'm not going to read and study this book. But when I believe that he loves me, when I trust that God has given himself to me on the cross, I can't get enough of this book. And man, I, I, I just want to confess, my heart goes up and down with that, right? And so sometimes we say, man, I'm not feeling it, but I'm going to come to the book because I think it'll remind me of his love. Other times we say, I know God loves me, and we just voraciously eat it up. Either way, we should be people of the book. Bible study is going to be something that helps us to engage in supernatural resistance to the evil powers of this world. How are we going to know what's right and wrong apart from this book? How are we going to know what God wants from us in such a crazy world apart from him speaking to us? So remember, as we look at Ephesians 6, I keep referencing that as putting on the armor of God and the, the spiritual battle we do there. I just want to remind you something from that section. The word of God is the only offensive weapon described in the armor of God. You've probably heard this before, but a lot of the armor that we see in the armor of God passage is defensive, right? And it's mostly the gospel. It's mostly like, faith and the righteousness of Christ and just, you know, putting on who God is, covering ourselves with Christ, right? It's defensive. It protects us from spiritual enemies. But the word of God is actually an offensive weapon. We're told it's the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter six. So if we wanna actually make headway in this world, right? We have two choices. We can be like Peter who pulls out a real sword and cuts off the ears of the enemies of Christ. But Jesus said, no, that's not how we're gonna win this battle. Jesus said, we're not gonna win the battle with with a real sword cutting off people's ears. We're gonna win by proclaiming my word. So that's what Christians devote themselves to. Again, we call this the means of grace. We, We share his word and we say, God's actually gonna work in the real world as we proclaim his truth, as we study it, as we memorize it, as we own it, as we trust it, as we share it with others. Do you spend regular time in the Bible besides our weekly gathering? If not, you need to take next steps. And don't try to go from, you know, zero to 60 in three seconds, right? Start small, like read small chapters or just pick a favorite verse and start memorizing that and put it on a card and put it in your your car or on your bathroom mirror and start working on it, right? But memorize Scripture, start reading Scripture, start building habits. And if you fail to meet those goals, don't give up and say, well, I'll never do that again, right? Keep trying. Find ways that work for you. Listen to Scripture on audio or read Scripture or memorize Scripture. Uh, One passage that I've found really helpful over the years, uh, my wife has memorized this, and I know other friends that have memorized this as well, is Romans chapter 8. It's such an Epic chapter of the Bible. You may not want to memorize the whole chapter. Maybe you just want to memorize a few verses, right? But memorize scripture, study scripture, get involved in one of our Bible studies beyond just our weekly gatherings. One of the things we really want to encourage you to do is to start a three by five group. If you go to our Join a Small Group page on our website, it'll give you instructions on a three by five group. It's basically just gathering a couple other friends sharing your life together, reading the Scripture together, praying for each other. Do you think you could do that? One of the things we're praying for as leaders at the church is that God would renew more spiritual initiative in our church, that you would begin taking up the Word for yourselves and then grabbing other people in your life and saying, let's let's read it together. Let's talk about it together. Let's enjoy this together. Well, as we wrap up again, the big idea is that we should resist the unseen powers. We're in the middle of a very heated political season, which again, Christians have to walk this fine line. We are to be engaged in the politics and the day-to-day realities of this world, but we are not to put all of our hope into those things. We are to put our hope in Jesus. So when we, as God's people, resist the unseen powers of evil in this world, we do that primarily by trusting God and walking with him. And one of the things that's really important for us to remember is we can resist the unseen spiritual forces in this world because Jesus has won the ultimate victory over them. So a great reminder of that is Colossians 2 says, God made us alive together with Jesus, forgiving us for all of our trespasses, canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, right? When spiritual temptation and condemnation is speaking into your ears about how terrible you are, how awful you are, we can remember this. Our debt has been paid by Jesus. It was nailed to the cross. It goes on and says, he canceled that record. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the unseen powers of this world. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus ultimately defeated the unseen powers of this world. So, He asks us to join in him, resisting by our faithfulness to him, by trusting him, by walking with him. Let me pray. God, thank you for your love for us. We pray that you would continue to fill us with your spirit, that we would be obedient to you, that we would know what it means to walk with you, um, that we would resist the unseen spiritual forces of this world through fasting, through prayer, through Bible study, but most of all by trusting you, by being strong in your great might. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name.